Welcome to this BGSM podcast. My name is Babette Saim, and I'm here with Dr. Julian Perriar, a Canadian research scientist and former athlete. He used to race on the International Triathlon Union circuit, after which he completed a PhD at the University of Sydney, investigating the mechanism that limit prolonged exercise in the heat, and is now based in Qatar, an ideal place to conduct heat studies in, in athletes. So welcome, Julian. Well, thank you very much. Um, I'm very happy to be here to discuss this uh, this tennis project that we did um, with heat stress, especially considering the the recent events that happened in uh, in Melbourne last week with uh, with the Australian Open. Yes, the heat that's really a topical subject. And you actually uh, studied tennis players during match play in both hot and uh, cool conditions in 22 and 37 degrees Celsius. Why did you choose to study tennis players? And can can you tell us a bit more about the overall design of the study? Uh, yes, yeah, certainly. Um, firstly, I'll give you just a bit of background on how we came to to kind of study these tennis players and how we decided on um, looking at performance in hot and cool conditions. Uh, well, firstly, tennis itself is an interesting sport because players do have the opportunity to to rest and recover. However, they do play at a very elevated intensity during the rallies. So therefore, we want to examine their responses under extreme heat to understand how they cope from both performance and health perspective. Now, there's quite a bit of tennis-related research examining both heat and hydration. However, this research has not directly compared uh, match play performance responses in hot and cool conditions. Uh, rather, when looking at the literature, excuse me, uh, we noted that uh, data was mainly pooled in many studies from various tournaments uh, during seasonal play. So, for example, um, data was combined from matches played in cool conditions in the spring or the fall with those played in the summer, so when it was quite hot. So by pooling this data, it was indicated that core temperature increases to about 38.5 during play, irrespective of the environmental environmental conditions, and then remains relatively stable. This has been attributed to different aspects, um, but mostly to the nature of the game, whereby, as I mentioned, those intense periods of activity are interspersed with light activity or rest. Um, But what's particularly interesting in hot conditions is that it was suggested that players reduce their point duration in order to reduce their effective playing time. So essentially, or in effect, they reduce their metabolic heat production. And this is an important point as well because uh, when play is done in hot conditions, the rate of rise in core temperature is associated to both metabolic heat production as well as the prevailing environmental conditions. However, Uh, Another point to that is that we noted that in some of these papers, uh, there were outliers, so a large standard mean or standard deviation, for example, with with players reaching core temperatures well above 39, um, which which likely occurred in conditions that were particularly hot. Um, therefore, based on this, we wanted to directly compare and examine what happens uh, when match play tennis is conducted in hot and cool conditions. So that's a bit of the background as to how we approached um, the study itself. In terms of the overall design and what we did in the study, uh, well, we recruited 12 high-level players from Europe, and these were um, ranked by the ITF from 1 to 3, which corresponds about um, or to about nationally ranked players, uh, with some of them having international experience. Uh, we then had them come to Qatar for two weeks to play three matches. So this was done in uh, October um, 2012, and uh, although in Europe it's quite cool, it's still quite warm um, 
in, in Qatar. And um, during the matches, uh, we had them play, like I said, three matches, two outside in, in the heat and one inside in an, uh, on an indoor court. And the outside temperature was uh, 37 degrees and 36% relative humidity, which gave a, a WBGT of about 34 degrees. And the cool condition was 22 degrees, 72% relative humidity, which gave a WBGT of, of 19. Now, the WBGT itself is uh, it's called the Wet Bulb Globe Temperature Index, and it provides an estimate of the thermal load of an environment. Um, and this is based on ambient temperature, humidity, wind speed, as well as solar, uh, solar radiation. So basically, that's the background of the study um, and who we recruited. In terms of what we wanted to look at, um, in these conditions, we wanted to examine, very, well, obviously several aspects. Firstly, we compared the hot and the cool temperature matches. And in doing so, we looked at the thermal, physiological, and perceptual strain, as well as the potential, uh, the potential uh, changes in match characteristics associated with play in these conditions. Uh, we also investigated the alterations in physical performance, so sprinting and jumping, in relation to play in these conditions. Um, we also delved a bit deeper to look at the mechanisms that may be associated with these alterations in physical performance. So we looked at neuromuscular function. Um, we also explored the impact of play in hot compared to cool conditions uh, on oxidative stress and antioxidant status. And finally, we examined the question um, as to whether an individualized hydration regimen enhances performance and recovery during and following play in the heat. So based on all of this, you can probably tell that this was quite a large interdisciplinary project that involved uh, many of my colleagues, namely Dr. Olivier Girard, who some of you may know with, uh, with tennis research, as well as Sébastien Racinet and Wade Nez. Okay, and let's look at these individual studies. So the first was when you looked at thermal, physiological, and perceptual strain. You focus on core body temperature and skin temperature. So what were your main findings of this part of the study? Uh, well, as you noted, for this uh, particular aspect of the project, we wanted to isolate thermal, physiological, and perceptual responses associated with playing in the heat um, from those from playing in cool conditions. And specifically, we wanted to see uh, whether uh, any of these differences in responses were related to changes in, in match play characteristics, uh, for example, point duration or between point duration, and how this affects uh, effective playing time. Because it's been proposed, like as I mentioned earlier, that in the heat, point duration increases when the sensation of the thermal environment increases. So effectively, when players feel uncomfortably hot, they reduce their point duration. And this may involve uh, less chasing on those 50 to 50 balls, for example, or more attempts to end the rally uh, more early during the exchange. Um, so what we observed is that core temperature in the cool condition reached the typical value of about 38.7 at the end of the match, but it increased to 39.4 in the hot condition. Um, moreover, six of about 12 players surpassed uh, 39.5. Um, this, however, needs to be taken into context of the study because we had the subject stop for about 25 minutes between effective playing segment, segments to perform physical testing. So for example, uh, between the first and second hour of play, um, during this time core temperature decreased by about 0.4 degrees in the heat, so between the first and second hour of play. Um, so that 39.4 core temperature increase that we saw in the heat may have increased even more had we not had that, that stop between the, the first and second hour of play. 
Um, interestingly, what we found is that point duration was similar between the conditions, while the time between points was longer. So instead of reducing the point duration, the players were being a bit more lethargic in, in getting the balls between the points and maybe taking their time in preparing to serve. And overall, uh, this led to a, a reduction in effective playing percentage in the heat, which effectively lowered metabolic heat production. So ultimately, it appears that these adjustments in match play tennis characteristics, so the uh, increase in time between points and a reduction in effective play, represent some sort of behavioral strategy possibly adopted to minimize uh, or offset the sensation of environmental conditions being rated as difficult. And we highlight this because thermal sensation was the only predictor variable uh, that we put into a model that was associated with the adjustments um, in time between points as well as effective playing time. So may I then quickly jump to the to the Australian Open? Would that be okay for you? Certainly, yeah, yeah, we can try that. Yeah, yeah. Because do you think do you think there should be an um, an absolute limit during play at the Australian Open, and do you think it should be based on the bed bulb globe temperature or on the air temperature? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think there should be uh, a cutoff point because if it becomes to be subjective, then um, too many factors come into play. I think uh, it should be based on the wet bulb globe temperature because it introduces more variance to the, the measurement of temperature, such as humidity and, and air temperature. And uh, it's quite important, obviously, when, when um, athletes are playing or players are, are playing in the sun, um, that solar radiation also be taken into uh, into consideration. Having said that, um, yes, a cutoff point is definitely something that would be uh, would be warranted because then it gives uh, an objective measure as to when tennis stops. Um, naturally, these are high level, very fit athletes, and they can tolerate core temperatures of of 39 degrees, 39.5, even 40 degrees. But at some point, if it's too hot, the quality of play um, decreases, so it becomes a compromise then. Um, between the quality of play and the health and safety of the players, but also the health and safety of the of the officials, the ball boys, and things like that, as well as the, uh, the spectators. And would you dare suggest a cutoff point, a threshold? Uh, well, I mean, I don't think that's for me to, to 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 indicate, but I think in the women's game there is a cutoff at thirty or thirty point one WBGT where they implement that extreme. Um, weather rule by whereby they have 10 minutes between the second and third sets. So maybe that could be a different starting point. I know the ACSM also has guidelines in terms of certain WBGTs uh, being associated with different levels of risk for um, for performing or exercising in the heat. So looking at something like that and implementing that um, could possibly be a way to go. And maybe in the men's game as well, uh, especially in five-set matches, implementing that um, that rule of of the 10-minute rule from between the third and fourth set and fourth and fifth set might be something to look at as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, I won't. I won't make it even harder for you. Let's go back to your study and the other part of the study. You looked at tennis-induced alterations in physical performance and fatigue. What were your main findings in this part of the study? Uh, well, yes, indeed. Uh, in this part of the study, we looked at differences in physical performance during play in both conditions, so more specifically sprinting and running. Uh, so we had the players perform repeated sprintability tests. Um, so over 15 meters, essentially, they had to do three times 15-meter sprints uh, with 15 seconds recovery. We also had them do a change of direction test where they ran up to 10 meter to a 10-meter mark and then ran back through a 5-meter mark. Uh, for jumping, they did a squat jump, a counter-movement uh, jump, and a multiple rebound jump. 
the physical assessments were performed uh, before the match, after 10 minutes of effective play, so essentially after an hour of total play, and then after the match, so after about two hours of total play. To summarize briefly, we found that repeated sprintability and change of direction were similarly compromised following play in hot and cool matches, so uh, the environment itself didn't affect the performance. Also, the level of performance decrement was not exacerbated um, after the midway point of the match. So there was a decrease from pre-match to mid-match, but not an additional decrease uh, at post-match. Now, the multiple rebound jump, as well as the squat jump, uh, were affected, uh, but they were also affected in a similar way to the sprints. What's interesting is that complete recovery occurred in these parameters with about, within about 24 hours. Uh, therefore, the environment doesn't appear to have a significant influence on physical performance, at least jumping and sprinting in the context um, of this study. Oh, that's that's very interesting because many people are very worried that the heat uh, affects you much more and that it will take much longer to recover. But that's not what you found, right? Exactly, yes. Uh, but, I mean, it has to be reiterated that this was, was a two-hour match. So, obviously, if you mm -hmm. go into a, a five-hour five hour match, this different. may be different. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And did you find the same effect on the knee extensors and the plantar flexors? Uh, this was a bit different, yes. Uh, so, as I said earlier, we wanted to focus on maybe a bit of more, more of the mechanic, mechanistic side as to where some changes in physical performance may come from. So, we focused on, as you said, the plantar flexors and knee extensors uh, because, first of all, they're very important tennis, both to produce power, uh, for example, during a serve, and also to stabilize a player in preparation for ground strokes. So, we conducted these neuromuscular assessments prior to and following the matches in, in hot and cool conditions, and we were looking at voluntary strength as well as muscle activation via nerve stimulation. So basically, in this, we found that both brief and sustained maximal strength in the knee extensors and the plantar flexors was reduced immediately after play in the hot and cool conditions. However, the reduction in strength was greater uh, after play in the heat only in the knee extensors, uh, and it also remained depressed or lower 24 hours after match completion. Um, so the loss of strength which is interesting, appears to have originated from both a combination of, of central and peripheral factors in knee extensors, whereas in the plantar flexors, um, it appears to be um, only peripheral adjustments. So this means that there was some fatigue induced by playing in both conditions, but that in the heat, the knee extensors or the strength of the knee extensors was also influenced by a decrease in neural drive from the central nervous system. So this may have come from some sort of mental fatigue or a lack of motivation. Um, and ultimately, this may relate to the size of the muscle group as well as fiber composition. We also noted that the ability to produce force rapidly, so um, rapid force production in the knee extensors was reduced uh, in both environments, which may have implications in you know, explosive type contractions that mediate lower limb drive during the serve, for example, but rapid force production was not um, affected in the plantar flexors. Okay, and then in one of the other studies you you studied, you chose to study something completely different to study oxidative stress and antioxidant status. That's a very very interesting topic because tennis players are very very interested in in, in supplements in this area. Could you tell us a little bit more about that part? Yes, exactly. Um, supplementing and nutrition obviously is, is an important aspect of, of high performance, whether it be in tennis or in the other sport. And um, one of my colleagues is a um, as an expert in oxidative stress and antioxidant status, who wanted to do uh, some measurements in a field um, with something that we could transport to the, uh, the research area. In this part of the study, we found that match play tennis in the heat does not exacerbate 
the development of oxidative stress um, relative to playing in cool conditions, but rather it significantly increases antioxidants, uh, antioxidant status, which is quite interesting. And it's interesting because it suggests that there is um, the increase in thermal strain that we observed in the hot environment may provide some sort of necessary signal for the upregulation of antioxidant, uh, antioxidant defense, which in turn uh, dampens cellular damage. However, this is, is quite uh, a relatively novel finding that requires further investigation. Uh, however, based on this finding, we wouldn't really recommend um, antioxidant supplementation to tennis players competing in the heat. And this obviously is provided that they have a well-balanced diet and replenish their fluid losses during play because um, during play in the heat, we saw that um, the body mass losses did not exceed 1%. So this reinforces that in tennis, um, the players have ample top, ample opportunities to, to rehydrate. Yeah, you also looked at the hydration regimens uh, during tennis play. What was your research question in this um, in this area and what were your main findings here? Um, yes, in this part of the study, which is a bit different to the other aspects, because the other aspects we compared uh, match play in hot and cool conditions, where in this aspect of the study we compared playing in hot conditions uh, twice. So we had the players compete uh, in the heat on both occasions. However, in the first match, we told them to eat and drink as they normally would uh, during tournament play. And in the second match, we provided a specific hydration or an individualized hydration regime based on undertaking play well hydrated or euhydrated. We also wanted to standardize sodium intake as well as minimize body mass losses. So essentially, uh, we had to have the first match in the heat uh, before the second match, and we understand that this um, may be a limitation to this part of the study because some adaptations related to heat acclimatization could have developed. Uh, however, we do address these uh, in the paper. So in terms of what we examined, um, it was a mixture of, of what I described earlier in the other studies. Uh, so we wanted to determine whether this hydration regime reduces thermal strain, physiological strain, as well as perceptual strain during the matches in the heat, and also whether it minimizes uh, alterations in neuromuscular function and physical performance. So in a, nut in a nutshell, uh, we saw that the hydration regimen contributed to attenuate uh, or reduce thermal, perceptual, and physiological strain, mainly the f during the first hour of play. On the other hand, match play characteristics, so point duration, between point duration, for example, um, evolved similarly between the ad libitum and the hydration regimen conditions. Final core temperature was similar between the trials, um, with subjects finishing at 39.4 with the ad libitum drinking and 39.2 with the hydration regimen. And again, in both conditions, body mass losses were less than 1%. So even when the subjects are left to themselves to drink however they normally do, we find that they have again, ample opportunities to drink and rehydrate, and also maybe because of the acuteness of the heat stress and these guys or these players being um, experienced, they knew that they should drink. So they, they drank enough, they ate as well, so they maintained their body mass losses uh, below 1%. Um, also, we found that acute po uh, post-match strength loss losses in the knee extensors and the plantar flexors along with the impairments in repeated sprintability, were not influenced by pre-match hydration status. Again, as long as body mass uh, remained within that 1% that uh, threshold. So in the heat, um, there is that fatigue, and fatigue influences, obviously, strength loss and, and um, physical performance. But starting the match in a well-hue-hydrated state compared to ad libitum drinking, where they undertook the match in a less well-hydrated state, doesn't affect those physical performance. 
and finally complete recovery in all of these various measurements occurred within 24 hours again without uh, being affected by pre-match hydration status so based on this multidisciplinary approach that you took in this in this study what would you recommend to tennis players uh, well, I mean, the most important thing probably is if, if the players know they're going to play in the heat, uh, heat acclimation goes a long, long way into attenuating uh, the stress imposed by the environment. So that's probably the first thing that the subjects or the, sorry, the, the players could do. Um, but at some point, as we saw in, in Melbourne, even if, if some players are heat acclimatized, um, the environments uh, can become too hot. Um, so... That's the first thing. Obviously, maintaining hue hydration uh, or undertaking the match in a well-hue hydrated state is very important. And then replenishing uh, the fluid losses during the match is important because dehydration or progressive de dehydration exacerbates the increase in, in body core temperature. So those are, are very simple things to do. And I think in general, uh, players should have well-established hydration uh, habits, not only um, during the match or 24 hours before the match, but you know, in leading into the matches, during practice, so just in general, um, with their dietary or diet and nutrition uh, habits, they should have proper uh, hydration habits as well. And cooling during play? Uh, obviously, yeah. I mean, um, as we saw in Melbourne as well, they had uh, ice vests available for the players. Uh, cooling with ice uh, near areas where there's a major artery also helps with with cooling the uh, the players. So, pre-cooling and and during cooling uh, during match cooling is also uh, a way to go. Uh, some players might experiment with with ice slushies as well because that's been shown to to decrease core temperature. Um, so those are all strategies that the players can actually uh, attempt during practice to see if it's something that they. Uh, that they can adopt during play if it's something they're comfortable with because acutely during play it might not be something that they want to try um, for the first time because they might not know how they respond to that or if it actually works for them or not so it might even be a waste of time or something that they don't particularly enjoy doing and um, is there anything that you learned during your your career as a triathlete that you actually applied um, or that you would recommend to tennis players uh, well, I guess the same thing as I said earlier. Um, I think regardless of the sport, if you know that you're going to play in particularly hot conditions, and I mean with triathlons, depending on the, le the length of the race, you know, from Olympic distance to Ironman, you can be out there for two hours or up to 16, 15 hours for certain people. Uh, it's the same thing with tennis. You can be out there for an hour, but you could be out there for five hours. So um, entering the match well hydrated, um, having good nutrition as well pre-match, as well as during the match, um, preparing with heat acclimatization are all kind of simple things that uh, the athletes can do to prepare for playing in the heat. And as we found with this study, um, core temperature when playing in the heat does not um, level off necessarily at 38.5 when the, when the outside ambient temperatures are hot. It can increase well above 39 and in certain individuals well above 40. Um, so, again, while these players can tolerate that, uh, some of them might not tolerate it as well as others. So this could lead to heat-related illnesses, uh, which obviously no one wants, the players or the organizers or the, or the fans. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Is there anything else you would like to add? Uh, no, I think that's it for now. Thank you very much for, for this opportunity to discuss uh, our research. Well, thank you very much. I'm very much looking forward to the uh, Tennis and Heat edition. Thank you. Thank you very much.